the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. We are in a brand new week, not just a brand new week, but it is a brand new month as well. Welcome to May. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you are listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car on this beautiful Monday, um, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. As always, we got a lot going on on Monday night. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. Hope you had a great day at church yesterday. We did. It's a uh, an unusual five Sunday month, um, but we were just packed to the walls yesterday, and uh, I got to talk about the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus's conversion experience uh, on the road to Damascus, one of my very, very favorite Bible stories. So that was here at Calvary Chapel yesterday. Tonight, we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies all happening at 7 o'clock, so you can bring the whole family. Um, worship begins at 7 o'clock, and then everybody separates and goes into different rooms. Ladies, you can watch uh, the women's study at calvarysa.com, but it's always better to be here. Um, It's better to be here because you can participate in the Q&A or the the discussion that happens after the Bible study. So all of that is tonight at 7 o'clock. Let me think of us. We had, we got flooded with questions uh, today, so um, let me get to them. Uh, This one is anonymous from our email inbox. Um, This is for me personally. Do you plan on teaching the whole Bible? I love your teachings and hope to hear your commentary on every book. Uh, Anonymous, I hope so. I don't know how long the Lord is going to have me stay around here. By that I mean I'm uh, this, this month, I turned 72 years of age, so uh, in May, and I, you know, I'm, my health is good now, and I certainly want to do it. Uh, I have taught through most of the Bible already, and we have uh, all of those teachings on our website at calvarysa.com, along with my notes. I've got commentary written on the Bible. What I haven't done is all of the Old Testament, and the reason for that is we only do the Old Testament um, one night a week, Wednesday night is Old Testament night here at Calvary Chapel, and then we do two New Testament studies, one on Friday and one on Sunday. So obviously I've gotten through the whole New Testament, we've done it several times uh, uh, through in our years here. Um, 
uh, and there's still some that I haven't got to. Now, I've got duplicates. I've, I've, I've gone through some of the books in the Old Testament, too, and, and a couple of them even three times, and I try to do that as I feel the Spirit of God is leading. Uh, but, yeah, I still got some of the minor prophets to do. I've got First and Second Chronicles to do. And I've got Leviticus to do. <laughs> Leviticus is like this this thing. I don't want to go into it. But, but I'm going to do my best, Anonymous, to teach uh, the whole Bible. Um, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, it depends on my health. It depends on how long the Lord uh, is approving of my ministry here. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, that is always very encouraging. Here is a question from Kyle from our email inbox. You said that Charles Stanley's ministry will continue on for a long time after his passing. Do you think you will have the same impact when you pass away? I know for me it will, but what do you hope for about your legacy? Well, Kyle, that's a wonderful thing to say, but let me tell you something. I won't be able to carry Charles Stanley's lunchbox in heaven, believe me. Uh, I'm not going to have any kind of a, a long-lasting uh, impact like that. Um, I'm just a regular guy teaching the Bible, and um, um, certainly my reach and the impact I have pales in comparison to people like Charles Stanley or, or Chuck Swindoll, um, David Jeremiah, some of, the, some of the guys that are in my age group um, and they they were older, thing, thankfully, than I am. But uh, no, I I don't think I'll have that kind of impact at all. Um, when you ask about a legacy, um, Kyle, I'm so grateful to God. I'm going to cry. I'm so grateful to God that He's considered me worthy of the service that He's called me into. Um, that's really the only reward I need. I don't think about a legacy. I don't really worry about what people think about me or say about me. Now I'm like everybody else who want people to think well of us and say nice things about us. Um, but but th- there's there's um, boy. I hope I'm not trying to sound too spiritual here. But I, I I really don't have any ego involved in this. I'm just so blessed that God has allowed me to do this. And uh, I'm just going to keep doing it to the best of my ability. The one thing I can tell you about um, me personally, is, and, and this is just an honest assessment from my perspective, is unlike all these other guys, I really don't have any kind of a style. Um, there, there, there just isn't any legs. Um, uh, I listen to Charles Stanley or I listen to Adrian Rogers um, and, and a couple of others, and I just think, um, oh, Lord, to be that gifted would be such a blessing. But you know what? The Lord has convinced me a long time ago. Just do what he's told me to do, what he's gifted me to do, and do it that way. And as for a legacy, all I want, all I want when I die, and I'm hoping the rapture comes first, Kyle, but all I'm hoping for is that people will be able to say, boy, Pastor Ron really loved Jesus. I hope that's the case. If if they can tell I love the Lord, then uh, I will consider my life a success. But I don't really, um, I, I have no hopes or desires or even thoughts about my ministry carrying on. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Ken, who appears on this radio program uh, in my absence sometimes, uh, he will be taken over for me. And let me tell you something, he will take this church places I never could. So thank you, Kyle, for the very, very kind words. Um, but really, my, my, my legacy, he loved the Lord. He tried to do the best he could. I keep telling the church here that, you know, we, we think about believers when we get to heaven. Uh, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, I tell the church here, I'll settle for a nice try. If the Lord can look at me with a smile on his face and say, you tried hard, nice try, then I will be thrilled with that. Thank you, Kyle. You're very, very kind. Here is a question from James from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, a known pastor, spoke about tithing and offerings. He used Malachi 3.10 and Luke 6.38, Malachi about bringing 10%, and Luke about the more you give, 
the more you will receive. I looked at both verses, read the entire chapter, and I don't see the correlation. Can you please explain these two verses? Is the pastor's explanation accurate? If not, needless to say, I'm not listening to this pastor anymore. James, let me say first of all that that views on tithes and offerings uh, are non-essentials to our faith. Now, I've got very strong feelings about this, and I'm going to share them with you. But these are non-essentials. Um, I know a lot of pastors um, uh, and people I love and, and respect um, who, who teach tithing. Um, I think they're wrong. I mean, I think it very strongly. I think it demonstrates a lack of faith on the part of those pastors. I think they're they're trusting the people by, by compelling them to give 10% um, rather than trusting the Lord. So again, I have very, very strong feelings about it, um, but uh, I wouldn't stop listening to them at all. Uh, I'll stop listening to somebody if they, if they commit sin uh, or if we find out that their lives are duplicitous um, or, or if they're messing with the essentials of our faith. But, but never disqualify someone over non-essentials. Um, so so if, if this known pastor is, uh, is feeding you uh, in other areas, uh, it wouldn't be wise, I think, to just sort of cross him off of your list. Now, let me talk about this. Uh, the tithing passages, Malachi 3.10, has nothing whatsoever to do with the New Testament Christian, ever. Uh, Israel had stopped bringing um, what the law required, and God challenged them. Uh, he wanted them to get right. He wanted to bless them, and they were not blessable because they'd stopped bringing uh, the tithe uh, into the storehouse. And And what he's saying is the temple treasury. Now, remember, the Jewish tithe, tithe means a tenth, but but there was two and two-thirds tenths that needed to be given uh, in terms of the offerings. So, um, when when you hear a New Testament pastor saying to Malachi, uh, give to get. If you give God, test God, and he's going to pour out uh, the blessings of heaven. Um, that's the wrong motive for giving. And Paul makes it perfectly clear in his letter to the Corinthians when he says, um, uh, to give under compulsion eliminates any rewards you're going to get. We should give because we're cheerful. Literally, the word is hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. And we give because God has given everything to us. So, of this pastor that Malachi referenced would be, for me, the um, the, the most reprehensible. Now, the Luke chapter 6, verse 38, uh, this is used by every prosperity teacher out there. And if you are listening, if this pastor is a prosperity teacher, and it should be easy to tell. And they're everywhere. Um, this is used by every prosperity teacher. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And of course, that's always followed with an offering or with a plea for money. And God will give to you if you give to God. That's not at all our motive for giving. Now, one other comment about this. Um, James, um, Jesus taught about tithing. You tithe, and it's right that you do so. But it's because Jesus' ministry was a ministry under the law. Jesus' ministry was entirely Jewish. And because it was, he was telling Jews under the law, you should obey the law. But you see, we've been freed from the law. The law has been canceled, literally fulfilled. And so, again, this is another message that prosperity teachers give to try to give people to get. And it's just really, really incorrectly used. Tithing is a law for Jews. Um, we're no longer under the law. Uh, there is no place else in the scriptures, uh, in the New Testament scriptures, where we're told to tithe. In, in fact, just the opposite is true. We're told to give generously because we are recipients of grace, and that's really all we ought to do. So, James, um, 
problematic, and if if those passages are being used uh, in a give to get sense, then I would I would think you're probably listening to a prosperity teacher, and ought not to listen to him anymore. And there are a lot of them around. I repeat that there are a lot of them around. So you you're discerning and you make the sense. Tithing is simply not something a Christian ought to talk about, ought to be compelled to do, certainly ought not to be taught in churches. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an interesting question from Matthew, uh, and it's it's about his son, he and his son. I like this. Matt Matt, that's his son's name. Matt Matt wanted me to ask you questions about harmful animals. For the last couple of months, Matt Matt has been cutting grass clearing yards, and power-washing driveways in nearby neighborhoods to save money so that when he turns 16, he can buy a used vehicle. Before I go on to the question, Matthew, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a good example you're setting for your son and that he's learning that that um, earning what you spend is really a good thing. This is This is really, really good. So God bless you for that. And then he continues, with that said, on Tuesday, Matt, Matt and I were cutting a yard that looked like a Jurassic Park set, and unbeknownst to him, the weed eater cut into a big fire ant pile. As you can imagine, the fire ants went flying, and unfortunately, three of them bit him in the leg on Wednesday. His leg flared up with three big pimple bites and a huge bruise. After speaking about the fire ants, he asked, are there poisonous ants? Uh, he knows that there are other poisonous animals. So then he asked, can you please ask Pastor Ron, why did Jesus allow poisonous animals and big sharks in this world? And if we're supposed to be in charge of the animals, why are there animals in this world that can kill us? Thank you. We will be listening today. Matt, man, I'm glad you're listening. A couple of things. Uh, when I first got to Texas, I got to tell you, and it took me years to get over this. I was so fascinated with fire ants because I'd never seen them before in California. And just to mess with their their uh, mounds and see these hundreds of thousands of ants coming up was absolutely fascinating to me. And I was afraid of them. I wouldn't walk in grass barefoot or anything else. Uh, I was playing golf one day, one of the, the very beginning of our time here. And uh, I'm concentrating over a shot. Uh, I didn't see any fire ant mounds. I'm concentrating over a shot. And suddenly, my leg is on fire. And I look back, and it was completely covered with fire ants. And so that started my love-hate relationship with the fire ants. I was fascinated by them, but terrified of them as well. And I got bit all over so much that it made me sick for a couple of days. Um, uh, the, the the big lawnmowers of the, uh, on the golf course had flattened out the, uh, the mound, so I didn't know to look for them. Um, so I, I share your experience and your pain, Matt, Matt. Um, having said that, why did God make poisonous animals? You know, the truth is he didn't. That all happened as a result of the fall. Um, in the millennial reign of Christ, your dad will tell you about that, Matt, Matt. Uh, in the millennial reign of Christ, um, uh, a baby will play at the hole of a poisonous snake. Why? Because the curse will be reversed. Uh, the lion and the lamb will lay together instead of the lion eating the lamb. So all of this is going to be reversed. All of this happened because of sin. So when sin entered the world, God's perfect creation was ruined. And that's when animals started eating one another. Um, when when God gave Adam dominion or control over the animals, uh, all of that changed uh, as a result of the curse that sin introduced to this world. So, Matt, Matt, don't blame God for any of this stuff. Um, it, it happened because we humans messed things up. And the good news is that Jesus, when he comes again, he's going to set all of that straight. And Matt, Matt, he's coming soon. So he's going to set all of that straight, and we won't have to worry about that any longer. Matt, Matt, I'm really proud of you for working for your money. I'm proud of you for wanting to earn the money to buy a car. But I don't want to think about you turning 16, so slow your, slow your roll just a little bit. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for asking the question. 
Here is a question. This one is from Linda from our email inbox. Um, Hi, Pastor Ron. I've been working for the military cleaning houses after the military person moves out. Before I started working, I was told not to be scared, but there had been ghosts who would make noises. Many times, things would happen out of nowhere. Every time I go into a house to clean it, I would say, I'm only here to clean and I will leave. Then the noises would stop. Doesn't happen all the time, but it happens. I thought about the Bible when the disciples said there's a ghost. The disciples, plural, said there's a ghost. Are ghosts real? And what are ghosts or are these demonic spirits? Thank you, Pastor Ron. Linda, a couple of things I think are really important. When you go into a house to clean it, you don't have to be kind. You don't have to be gentle. You don't have to be nice. Just take Jesus in the house with you. Now, there's no such thing as ghosts. It's appointed then the man to die once and then face the judgment. Body, soul, spirit, it's all gone. Now, we live in a very superstitious world. And, Linda, we have been um, brainwashed to believe that, that there are spirits hanging around. I keep seeing this silly commercial for a TV show called Ghosts. I've never seen the program But just the idea, we've been so convinced that there's ghosts, that there's UFOs, that all these things, that we're hypersensitive to that. And Satan is pushing those buttons. And so when somebody says, be careful before you go in that house because there are ghosts here, um, just remember that you have authority over any demonic spirit. And they can't touch you. They can't harm you um, apart from God's permission. Now, they can huff and puff and threaten to blow your house down, but those are demonic spirits. But they can't do anything to you other than try to scare you. They can't do anything to you physically, so you needn't be afraid of them. And that's why I said, when you go into clean the house, you just take Jesus with you. And if you hear noises, if you hear things, um, uh, just, just ignore them. Just talk to Jesus more. Uh, you know what I, I now? This is going to sound weird, Linda, but I like cleaning. Um, when I had a little more time, I did the cleaning in her house. Paula has severe allergies to to uh, chemicals, so uh, I, I I did the cleaning. And one of the things I love to do, especially in a house, is I love to be able to pray for the people who are going to enjoy the house that I'm cleaning. Cleaning a toilet. Lord, bless the people that are going to use this toilet. Cleaning a shower. Cleaning a kitchen. Lord, bless the people that are in this house. And and work is unto the Lord. And you've got to know and have the confidence, Linda, that none of these things are going to move you because they represent absolutely no threat to you at all. And you know what will happen? The enemy will stop trying this if it doesn't work. But if he can make you nervous, if he can make you do the work quickly, he's going to do that um, because that's his job. Satan's job is to bug us. He's a professional at it. Um, so uh, just, just, I don't matter. I, I would say I, I don't care what I hear, Lord. I'm here to serve you. And Linda, that's the best approach to all of those things. You've got your work cut out for you. I know how clean the military wants those houses before the next person moves in. But do not be fearful of ghosts or noises. Nothing can happen to you without God giving specific and express permission for the enemy or the demons to afflict you. They can't do it. Again, they'll huff and they'll puff. They'll lie. They'll make threats. Uh, they'll push those buttons, you know, the psychosomatic things that we've already got in our brain. But please don't worry about them anymore. So no, they are not real. Now, one other comment. You said um, the the disciples said there was a ghost. That that That's when Jesus was walking on the water. They saw Jesus walking on the water. And the last person they expected to see was Jesus because he'd left them on the other side of the lake. Um, and so in the middle of the storm, when they're afraid, they said, it's a ghost. Um, the stories about ghosts have been around forever. doesn't mean there are ghosts. It just means they thought Jesus was a ghost. That's all that story. 
explains. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament. So Linda, um, relax, go in with the full armor of God and understand that when the noises start happening or or you start feeling chill bumps or a little bit nervous, just remind yourself, oh, Jesus, you're with me. I don't have to worry about any of this because you're with me. Thank you for question. Very, very good. Um, here is a question from Sandy. She says, uh, good afternoon, Pastor Ron. I thank you for all of the teaching materials on your website. They're helpful. I'm glad. Um, I know you have covered this before, but please explain again. When does a believer get their glorified bodies if they die an earthly death? Sandy from Seguin. Sandy, thank you. Um, Sandy, we get our glorified physical resurrected bodies when we die. When we go in the presence of the Lord instantly. Uh, there are people who will say, no, our spirit goes to heaven. But but the Apostle John says, um, what we will be is not known yet, but here's what we know. When we see him, we will be like he is. And Jesus is already in his physical, resurrected, glorified body. So no worries. The minute you leave this old, tired tent, your new body will be given to you. And you'll be in the presence of the Lord. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love some phone calls and some participation. 340-9585. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show. Quick reminder, uh, tonight we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies here at the church at 7 o'clock. And ladies, you can watch uh, Linda McMillan teach at... Um, Seven o'clock on Calvary at CalvarySA.com. Uh, as I said earlier, it's always better to be here. Um, the ladies, and I love this. Um, we're getting ready for a sweet summer devotion, so we didn't want to go through another whole book. So um, I suggested to Paula that the ladies take Psalm 119 and divide it up. Psalm 119 is all about the word. And so they're going through that psalm. And I don't know what Linda meant, but she said this is a Bible study, especially for those women who consider themselves older, whatever that means. Um, if you're older, and what lady wants to admit that? But uh, she said this Bible study is for you. Here is a question from John from our email inbox. Pastor, on the Bible says Apostle Paul was chosen. The Bible said he was blinded for three days. That was my study yesterday, by the way. Uh, I believe God chooses people because he knows they will choose him. But in this case, why did God have to do what he did to Paul? Would Paul have chosen God? Did God have to blind him for him to choose God? You know, John, a couple of things. First and foremost, the, the why questions. Um, we, we know that God did exactly what Saul of Tarsus needed to become the Apostle Paul. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in, in our Bible study this coming Sunday as well. Um, so so God did exactly what he had to do. Um, you know, some of us, we have to get lower than, than others. When I got saved, uh, my life had completely been blown apart. Now, now I did it myself, um, and the same thing is true with the Apostle Paul. Um, he was getting so close to a place he could never have come back from. That Jesus directed his steps to be in exactly that place where Jesus revealed himself. Now, being blind was not a punishment. Um, the, 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 the blindness was a result of seeing the glory of God. Jesus appeared for him before the spectacular light, and it was so magnificent that it blinded him. Now, obviously... Um, Jesus knew that he was going to restore his sight because that's part of Paul's ministry. He, he would go all over the world. Um, but it, it wasn't a matter of, uh, you were so bad, I'm going to punish you. But what what Jesus was doing was dealing with Saul of Tarsus's pride. And 
his pride was legendary. We can read about it throughout our New Testaments. He calls himself the, the chief of sinners or the worst of the worst. Um, he, he said uh, as a Jew, he was advancing beyond other men his age, uh, zealous for the law, faultless, he said. That's what he considered himself. And he, he was absolutely convinced. One of the things I said in my Bible study yesterday was that as he was on this mission to persecute Christians, he believed with all of his heart he was 100% right. They were blasphemers. They, they, the earth needed to be rid of them. And, and he considered what, what Christians were doing to be blasphemy. And as he ran from Jesus, he got angrier and angrier and angrier. And so God had to put him in a place where he was absolutely helpless. He couldn't help himself. He had to be led into Damascus. And for three days, he laid there blind, no food, no water. But as I said in my Bible study yesterday, I think it was the best three days of his life. Because having been born again, when he saw Jesus on that that road, he could finally talk to God. He would have to deal with, how could I have been so wrong? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? His response was, who are you, Lord? And John, his response indicates he, he didn't want it to be Jesus, but he knew it was. And it was at that point that the world, from a spiritual perspective, became clearer to him. And the three days were three days of worshiping God, of praying, knowing that his prayers would be heard. I'm sure he was afraid. I'm sure he was concerned about what his future would be like. He didn't know that his eyesight was going to be restored in those three days. But he also knew that he met God. So that's that. That's, God just did what he needed. Um, you know, John, I said yesterday that some of us are running from God and we're so committed to running away from God that he's going to have to let us get to that really, really low place as well. That's what happened to me. I'm embarrassed to say that. I'm ashamed that it had to get to that point. But that's how stubborn and proud I was. Finally, the evidence was so overwhelming that I knew that I was just kidding myself. I was pretending that everything was okay, that I was in control, when in fact everything was completely out of control. God had to get me to a point. Let me tell a quick story. Uh, we don't have anybody on the phone, right? Okay. Um, one of the things Paula, she prayed for me for 13 years. Uh, one of the things that she would pray um, fairly often was, was, Lord, whatever you have to do, however low he has to go. And we were wealthy. I, I was very successful in business. And and uh, Paul would say, if you have to take everything away from him in order to save him, Lord, then take everything away from him. And one day, the Lord stopped Paul in her tracks. And he spoke to her heart and he said this. He said, you know, if I take everything away from Ron, I'm going to have to take everything away from you. Is that okay with you? And she'd never considered it. Well, why do you have to take everything away from me? And because we were wealthy, Paula's life, except for dealing with me as such a jerk, Paula's life uh, was comfortable. She was hurting. She wasn't loved. But she was comfortable. And so she really had to wrestle with that. And she wrestled with it. I don't remember how long, but she was really wrestling in prayer with it. And, and she got to that place where she said, Okay, Jesus, I mean this with all my heart. If you have to take everything away from us to save Ron, then that's my prayer. And I was saved, I think, just a couple of months after that place. Because believe me, when God took it all away, he took it away completely and he took it away very quickly. So um, God didn't have to do that to me. He allowed those things in my life so that I would learn to depend completely on him. The picture of Saul of Tarsus, this proud, arrogant, relentless man, ruthless, um, being led by others into Damascus because he couldn't see. is a wonderful picture of just how dependent upon Jesus we all need to be. 
Good question, John. And you were right. God chooses people and he knows they're going to choose him back. Um, make no mistake, though, we are all chosen by the Lord. Good question. Here is a question from our email inbox. This one is from Joseph. Pastor Ron, are more demons getting birthed through sin? I understand a third of the angels fell from heaven, but are there more angels, a.k.a. demons, being birthed? What about angels? Are there only two-thirds of the angels in this world? Some people say we have an angel, but when we die. And then the last question is, do we become an angel? Joseph, let me take the last one first because it's easy. Um, If we were to become angels in heaven, we would be demoted. So no, we don't become angels at all. Uh, When we go to heaven, we receive our glorified, resurrected bodies. And I'm talking our physical, glorified, resurrected bodies. A body that I can only dream of. And we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. The angels are actually ministering spirits. And their purpose is to serve us, to minister to us. Now, they minister to us now in the invisible realm. But when we are in our glorified, resurrected physical bodies, then they will minister to us in the in the physical realm as well. So, no, we do not become angels. Uh, don't even think that. It always it makes me angry, actually, when, when, you know, especially if we lose children, um, somebody will say, well, guess God needed another little angel in heaven. That's just nonsense. That's emotional drivel. Um, when we go to heaven... We're going to be just like Jesus, and we're going to stand in his presence. Uh, And we'll have all of the questions to the why, or the answers, rather, to all the why questions that we asked. Now, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by demons getting birthed through sin. There are no more demons. The number of demons that were created in the beginning, now there are myriads of demons, uh, multiplied billions of demons. But all of those demons were created, and, and uh, when they were created, there's no more creation. The same thing is true about their choice. When Satan fell, Lucifer fell, and he deceived um, a third of the angels in heaven, um, it was a one-time only choice. They didn't get a second chance. They can't repent and say, oh, I blew it. I was wrong. Um, they, they had one chance, and their eternal fate was sealed at that particular place. Now, make no mistake, those fallen angels are powerful. They're still around, but they will one day be destroyed, and they won't have a second chance. Humans, Joseph, we get the second chance. So there are no more demons that are are being created uh, in the world. Um, The sin that you see in the world is a result of demons conspiring with our flesh to destroy us. So no more demons are being birthed. Uh, The two-thirds of the angels who kept their first estate, those are the angels that were obedient to God and made the right choice. Well, those are the ministering spirits. And uh, I don't like trite things, but I always like to think of it this way. uh, As as much evidence as there is of, of demons that are harassing us, the good angels have the bad angels um, outnumbered two to one. So we're, we're in the majority here. Joseph, we've got things, God's got things under control. Good question. That's a question I haven't had before. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Uh, anonymous from our email inbox says, Hello, my husband constantly tells me, This is why I don't want to hang out with you. Nobody wants to be around a prideful person. I know I'm not perfect, Pastor, but me not wanting to entertain a question that will lead to an argument, I believe, that's not prideful. Instead, it's a way to help our marriage. Please help me understand a way to walk away from conversations that don't need to happen. Um, This is a tricky one, Anonymous, because we can be misperceived. Now, you and God know your heart. So this is something that in a good time, when you and your husband are not arguing, um, this is this is when you got to talk about it. Just just sort of lay the ground rules. I'm not going to argue with you. Nothing happens when we argue except we get in our flesh and we say things that we regret. 
And I don't want to say things that I regret. I don't want to sin against God by saying bad things about you or bad things to you. So for me, the best way to deal with these arguments is not to have them. I always tell people it takes two people to argue. And so if one person is willing to walk away from the argument, that's demonstrating wisdom. And I believe, based on this question, that's what you're doing. And and all you need to do is explain to him. But there's nothing prideful about it. A lot of times arguments are one person trying to convince the other person that they're right. But understand this. Every argument, and husbands and wives, I really want you to hear this. Every argument is flesh. Every one. Because you are disappointed. Because you don't get what you want. Because things didn't turn out the way you wanted. We argue. And when we are arguing, it is always flesh. And the Apostle Paul said that we're to make no provision for the flesh. Now, I tell my church here all the time, um, I'm sure Paul and I have talked about this at some point on the show on a Thursday, but um, there just should not be arguing in the home. A husband and a wife can sit down together, Christians, and say, can we agree to agree with Jesus? When we have a disagreement about an opinion or a disagreement about uh, something we're doing in the home, um, can we just now agree to agree with Jesus? And then all we have to do, if you've got one opinion, I've got another opinion, instead of it becoming a battleground, we can simply go to the Word of God and see what Jesus says. And we can agree to do that. And if we'll do that, Anonymous, there never has to be another argument. Now, I know people are going to argue But what I want married couples, Christian married couples to understand, I would never say this to people in the world, but what I want Christian couples to understand is that we are dishonoring God when we're arguing, and we need to hate the fact that we allow our flesh to be in control. And so I just simply don't want to argue. We're not going to talk about it. If there is something that needs to be talked through, let's wait until... um, cooler heads prevail never argue in anger Uh, and taking a walk with Jesus is one of the very best things that you can do because when we've done that um, we never have to go back to the Lord and say I'm sorry we never have to to go back to the person that we argued with and say please forgive me you can think things but you take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to the Lord and he's proud he's pleased so Uh, explain to him that you're not being prideful when you say you don't want to talk about that. It's not because I think I'm right. It's because I don't want to sin against God and sin against you. And in my flesh, there's nothing good. And if we argue, the flesh is going to control. I get so much flack when I say husbands and wives don't need to argue. And then people will say, um, but, but you know, we're humans. Well, yeah, but we, we need to hate the fact that that part of our humanity exists. I, I just don't want to give in to my flesh. Again, Paul says, um, make no provision for flesh. James, the Lord's half-brother, says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. That's James 4, 2. And because uh, that's really the, the, the truth that we don't want to face, um, anonymous, that's you're doing what you're doing is the right thing, but just represent it correctly. Uh, it can be perceived as being arrogant, uh, it can be perceived as being stubborn. That's why you need to talk about it. Now, you asked to, uh, for me to help you understand a way to walk away from conversation, don't need to happen. That's it. But just sit with your husband on a good time. Let me say one other thing about this. If you and your husband are reading the Bible together, if you're not, you should be. If you and your husband are reading the Bible together, um, these are the kind of commitments, decisions that you can arrive at simply led by the Spirit. And as you're in the Word together, this is a supernatural thing. If you're in the Word together, then the Spirit of God will knit your hearts together. And no longer will you find yourself at odds. Not only that, but when you do find yourself at odds, you'll understand that's just my crummy, stinky flesh. And what we want to do is kill our flesh every day. So you're right. 
These conversations don't need to happen, but there are some hard conversations, Anonymous, that do need to happen. They just need to be uh, clothed in love. They need to be bathed in kindness and gentleness. Um, It's not good for a a wife to let her husband um, act fleshy. It's not not constructive for a husband to let his wife act fleshy. We're just not going to get in the flesh here. Because if we do, we're going to dishonor the Lord, and that's the last thing I want to do. So their conversation need to happen. Those conversations never should turn into an argument. So I hope that makes sense to you. I say I hope that makes sense to you a lot because, you know, people, just that's so foreign to some people, that, that kind of way of thinking. Here is a question, another one for Anonymous. If we don't blame God for bad times... Why should we praise him for good times? Because God is the author of good. Anonymous, there's no good apart from God. So the the fact that Jesus pours out his grace and pours out his mercy, um, those are the, the genesis of our good times. And so we praise him for it because apart from him, there are no good times. Now, we can have fun times and, and, and we can do some things that make us feel better for a moment. But the joy of the Lord lasts forever is only available when Jesus is ruling and reigning in our hearts. So the bad times, honestly, our fault, our flesh. The good times, all God's blessing. And when you understand that, you'll really be free to invite the Lord into every part of your life and you're going to see good times abundantly increase And when there are bad times, you're still going to have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. You're going to have the joy of the Lord to help you get through those. So um, God's not responsible for the bad things that people do. Um, God is the power, the force behind all of the good that we can do. I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question. This one um, another one from Anonymous uh, mobile app. Is it right to force your loved ones to go to a church they don't want to go to? Um, boy, this is too broad a question, Anonymous. I really can't answer. I'll give you sort of a general um, response. Uh, it, it is right to force your loved ones, if you're talking about children especially, it is right to force them to go to church. I had this conversation with a, a, a wonderful couple uh, on Saturday. Um, kids get no vote. Children get no vote at all. We don't go to a church. We don't pick a church. Or we don't stay away from church because the kids want this church or don't want to go to church at all. Kids, your job, or parents, your job as it relates to your kids is to, to, to train them in the way they should go. And church is a part of that. You, you can't make your kids be believers, but you can certainly put them in an environment where they're going to hear the Word of God. So um, is it right to force your, your loved ones to go to church? Yes. Now, if it's about a specific church, and the way your question is, is worded, that, that seems to make sense to me, to go to a church they don't want to, I don't really know who's, making, uh, who's asking the question. Um, if if your kids want to go to a cool church, um, but they're not being fed, uh, then it's right to force your kids to go to a church where they're going to be fed. And you're going to tell them, be respectful. Um, don't embarrass me. Don't embarrass the Lord. Uh, this is where your dad and I have chosen to go to church. On the other hand, um, if somebody in your family, not a child, is going to a church that is a bad church by definition, a heretical church, bad doctrine church. Um, you, you never want to force anybody to go to a bad church. And so if you're, if you're in a marriage and your husband is saying, well, I want you to go to this church with me, uh, and, and it's a bad church, then, then you sit down with your husband and say, look, you're responsible to wash me with the water of the word. You're responsible. You're going to stand before Jesus and give account of your ministry. The church you're trying to force me to go to, is that a good, solid Bible-teaching church? Is this something that you've prayed about? Because you're going to stand before the Lord, but I would not go to a heretical church. 
I mean, I would sit down and give examples of the heresy. It'd be something that needed to be talked through. You know, the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Um, but but Jesus wouldn't have you go to a heretical church, a bad church doctrinally. So in that case, the answer would be, um, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go to a church that, that dishonors the Lord with, with false doctrine. These are really, really important things. I think we need to do it. Um, if, in fact, um, it's just a church you don't like, but there's nothing wrong with it, and your husband's asking you to do it, submit to his authority. So I hope that answers your question. And, and typically with questions like this, I need more information. Uh, what's going on? What are the specific circumstances? And then I'm better able to give you the answers that you want. Hey, thank you very, very much for the questions. Hey, we're out of time for today. I want to remind you that tonight uh, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies are going on at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock, a.m. 6.30, the word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.